Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Today we're closing out our sermon series titled Fool's Gold. And today, today's title is called Eureka. Really is the, the key part of having all this knowledge. But if your heart's not right, the whole thing's not right. How many have ever seen a situation with maybe the kids were doing something and they were fighting and whatever was going on. And one of them, let's say, took something from the other one. And they were wrong. But the one who is the victim turns off and just blows up. And the blow-up should be about right here. But they blow up and it's way up here. It is off the scales wrong. As a parent, are you worried about the thing that got taken? Are you worried about the behavior and the attitude and the posture of their heart that was off the scales? That becomes more of an issue. And I think today, I, got, I think God wants us to really look at the posture of our heart. We've been talking about wisdom, talking about how important it is, talking about where to find it. And we've, we've even highlighted how God himself holds all divine wisdom into understanding. But to obtain these things, we need to dig deeper. And we talked about that last week. Now today I want us to consider what is the correct posture of our heart when we seek wisdom? See, without a correct posture of our heart, we'll be tempted to only follow Christ when it's convenient. And we'll be tempted to only reach out to God when we're in need. The correct posture of heart that I'm referring to is it's often simply stated the fear of the Lord. Now, the word fear for most people is understood as being scared and freaked out and panicked. I remember going uh, to my very first scary movie. I don't like them. I don't need them. I don't want them. Don't offer them. Okay? But I was a kid. I was young and I was dumb. Some say, well, some things haven't changed much, Pastor. And, yeah, well, let's talk about it. I'll tell you what, though. I go to this movie, and it is weird. And at this one point, there's this little girl, and her head spins all around in a circle. I freaked out. I ran. I got out of there. I wanted nothing to do with it. And I don't care if the priest's there with the little cross thing. You're nuts. That's how most of us look at fear. And so we think of a scary movie. We think of something that we can't stand and we're just panic about. And then we hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord. And we're like, is that the girl's head spinning around or that crazy alien thing? Are we supposed to be afraid of God? How many know that we say, I love my spouse, I love my wife, 
And at the same token, I turn around, and I love carne asada tacos. Wait a minute. You love your wife like a taco? Can you tell that our English language is kind of messed up? Right? The word fear in this situation has nothing to do with being frightened. It has everything to do with the idea of respect, the highest respect. It's meaning about having the idea of God is great, that he's awesome, that all power is him, all authority is him, and I honor him as such. Not out of fear, but out of love and respect. I'm in awe. You know, there's three outcomes. I believe that the fear of the Lord brings about, that that it produces, and here's the first one. The fear of the Lord produces awe. At the beginning of this series, we, we talked about the importance of having a reverence for God. In Exodus 19, and we see a bit of what the fear of the Lord is supposed to look like. This is that segment of Scripture where, where God is getting ready to give the Ten Commandments to His people there in Exodus chapter 20. And here, God reveals something about His power. So here we are, verse 16, Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, doesn't that number three just seem to keep popping up all over the place? On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. Now, in California, if I said we had a thunderstorm, we would go, ooh. Now, if I was to take you to Iowa or some other place in the Midwest and I said they have a tea storm, you would go, what? Because them people, they know what a real storm looks like. I mean, the lightning would flash in the middle of the night when everything is dark and the power is out and the whole house is lit up on the inside. Now that's lightning. And that's flashing. I mean, it is so loud that when it thunders, everything rumbles and the dog runs underneath the bed. It's awesome. And it's scary. But you look and you go, what incredible power. Well, here he is in the chapter before he gives the Ten Commandments. And here's this, this lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Did you see how that verse ended? Say it with me. And all the people trembled. Why did they tremble? Was it cold? (laughs) They trembled because of the awesome power that was displayed to them by God. The Bible says thunder roared, lightning flashed. This was a sign of God's great power. Not all of his power, just a sample. 
You see, in this moment, God's intent was not to scare off His people, but rather to display His awesomeness. To display such incredible power that in turn, it led them, that it pointed them towards reverence. Towards reverence to God. Have you ever encountered God's power in, in such a personal, powerful way? I was 17. I've been saved since I was a little boy, about seven. So I'm an incredible theologian of 10 years. And all of them in my youth as a kid. I found out about this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I hadn't had it. And I wanted it. We went backpacking. <laughs> we went backpacking a place called Devil's Canyon. Anyways. And that night we decided, some of you guys have heard this story, that after the Bible study, we were going to all go over here and we were going to lay hands and pray for each other. And so finally uh, it came my turn and, and the leader asked what I wanted. And I said, I, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. And they go, what? I'm going to be baptized in the Spirit. Speak up, boy. I said, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. I said, that's what I wanted to hear. So he had me sit here on this rock. We, ended up, we nicknamed that rock the hot rock. And I sat on that rock, and I just put my hands like this. And I just kept praying, God, I want all of you. I don't want just a little bit. And they started praying, and after a while, I just felt the Holy Spirit come on me. Never felt this before. I didn't know what I was experiencing. And it just kept going. I started praying in a language I knew nothing about. My buddy behind me, his name was Pete. I haven't seen him probably since, since early after that time. He squeezed me so hard. I asked him afterwards, I said, Pete, why did you squeeze me so hard? He goes, man, I thought you were going to heaven and I wanted to go too. <laughs> True story. And I just kept saying more, 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 God, more. It just filled me. Instead, fill me. I'm 17. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is I just want all that I can of God. I finally had to say, Lord, stop. I can't handle it anymore. I feel like I'll die. But I want more. But stop. It changed me. I had the awe of God. I had the fear of God. Because it's real. It changed my life. Oh, I still chased my dream of wanting to be a football player and all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what. I knew in my heart of hearts from the time when I was a 78-year-old boy and I went to the altar and I had that experience with God all by myself to this experience, okay, I had to go do something for God. The power. I'll never forget it. Never. I didn't have a theology. 
had no clue. And nobody's going to tell me it wasn't tangible. This moment did not scare me to run away from God. Instead, it helped me to see there was no one else worthy of putting my faith and my trust, my heart and my life into Him. See, once we begin to understand what the fear of the Lord is, supposed to look like, we begin to stand in awe of His love and of His power. And we put our faith in Him. Which is the second thing that produce, that's produced when we have the fear of the Lord. Let's look at that. The fear of the Lord produces faith. Now, turn with me to Exodus. We'll go to chapter 14 this time. This is the account when the Israelites escaped Egypt. And then they go through the Red Sea and the ground's dry. I don't know if you guys remember the Prince of Egypt. Just watch the cartoon. Those of you who have kids, you'll remember it. And all of a sudden, you know, they have the picture of this big wall of water. There goes the big whale. I mean, it was just awesome. And the people are walking across the seabed and it's dry. I don't know about you, but that would draw and grab my attention. Here's the key verse at the very end of this story of the exodus of, of the Hebrew people. And it says in verse 31, When the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord, that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with, say it with me, church, awe. Oh. Before him, they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The Bible says the people put their faith in the Lord. Once they learn to stand in awe of who God is, we must be willing to place our faith in him. Let's look what Hebrews says. Chapter 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. See, the New Testament says Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is the author, is the champion who perfects my faith in your faith. This means he gives us faith, allows us to have it, helps us to grow in faith. However, it's easy to place our faith in something earthly, tangible, something you can see, feel, touch, but eternal, but divine wisdom is not tangible. But it is real. So how can we be sure divine wisdom is worth putting all of our faith in? I believe, I believe it comes actually to a greater question than that. See, so the big question is, do I believe in the stories of the Bible? Do I believe the Bible? You see, many people doubt God because they doubt the Bible. They don't understand how a book written thousands of years ago can still be relevant and real 
for today. And I think at some point, all of us have to answer that question. Do you believe the stories of the Bible? Do you believe the Word of God? You know, there's a lot of Christians say, I believe a bunch of the Bible. But come on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into that fiery furnace? And then there's four? That's nice for a Sunday school, but you know you're asking me to believe in Santa Claus too. A whale? Ate a person? For three days? Seriously, Pastor. You want me to check my brain out at the door? We're not the only one who struggles with wanting to touch, to believe in something that's tangible. His name's Thomas, and he struggled with this. And this is how Jesus handled it. So let's go to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he, meaning Thomas, replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Here's the guy that says, I won't believe it unless I see it and touch it. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, so get this, he all of a sudden is just there. It's like you blinked, and all of a sudden he was there. Like, what happened? Where'd he come from? Everything's closed, and not a door was open. Everything's locked up. And all of a sudden he's there, and he says, Hey, peace be with you. And he doesn't say, Where's the food? He doesn't say, I would like some water. He, he doesn't say, How are you, Peter? He says, Hey, Thomas. What? He goes after the doubting one. Of all that he could have. What about Peter? He rebelled. No, 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 no. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Tom. Hey, why don't you come here, man? You see that right there? Man, you, want, you want to touch that? There you go. Can you imagine the silence in that room? He goes, Thomas. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, told him, you believe because you have seen me. But catch this. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Do you know that you're blessed because you believe in Jesus? 
You've never been at that place in that room with the other 12 disciples thousands of years ago? And yet you believe. And people, you're not crazy. You're blessed. You are blessed because you believe and you haven't seen. In this encounter with Thomas, Jesus says, those who believe in him but have not seen him face to face will be blessed. Faith requires a step. A step into something that in our world is not common to do. It requires a belief that, that we believe that the invisible world impacts the visible world. Many people say that they will only believe in what they can see. Which is why many people pursue tangible things. Yet we know that the invisible world impacts the visible world. Surgeons go and they disinfect and they sanitize all of themselves, their garments, their clothing, their hands. They, they have a procedure on how to wash their hands and all the instruments. Everything has to be clean and sanitized. The room has to be clean and sanitized. But Louis Pasteur, many years ago, was the first guy to be the crazy one. He says, we're, we're amputating all of these, these arms and these legs and everything, and they're, they're dying not because we amputated, because of the infection. He goes, how about we grab some soap and wash our hands between surgeries? And they called him a nut. They called him a quack. But the more he did it, the less infection there was. And today... If you were to call Louis Pasteur a quack, they would run you out of town. So who's the idiot now? He proved that that which was invisible to the eye was impacting negatively on infection for the sick. Jesus is saying... You believe in that which you can't see, the invisible, that it impacts the visible. And he says, you're blessed for that kind of faith. And in our pursuit of wisdom, there seems to be one more thing the fear of the Lord produces in our life. And it's a necessary starting point of growth in our faith. Number three, the fear of the Lord produces a foundation. In Proverbs 1.7, will you read out loud with me? Ready, begin. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the writer says in this verse that the fear of the Lord is the foundation, is the foundation of true knowledge. The verse tells us about the importance of a good starting place for us to be able to build. The concept of fearing the Lord is meant to serve as a starting place as we discover who God really is. Now, the Bible is full of mysteries. I mean, think about it. 
Do you know if Adam and Eve had a belly button? I'm just asking. It's a mystery. But as we study the Bible, and if we have a healthy fear of the Lord, we'll be building off that concept as we gain knowledge, as we gain wisdom, as we gain understanding. It's important for us to spend time thinking about what kind of foundation we're building. And what we're building on, if that foundation is weak, we're in trouble. Jesus talks about this in a well-known passage in Matthew chapter 7. I'll start at verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. This is what Jesus says. If you follow what I'm teaching, you will be wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. 25. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house... It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. It's in this segment of teaching that Jesus is closing out his sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is actually three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and here he's closing out this sermon, this incredible sermon, and he's helping people understand how important it is to follow Jesus' teaching. The Word of God is the greatest possible place to build our foundation. And out of all of the starting places for us, to start from, the best place to start is the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize using a life journal. Right? Why? Because the Word of God cleans our hearts. So we use SOAP, S-O-A-P. That acrostic, it stands for S, Scripture. O, Observation. A, Application. P, Prayer. So read the Word of God and you pick a verse. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? And you write it out. That's the S. Then you give the observation, God clearly loves mankind. Then you write an application. This verse says God loves me in spite of me. That he died even with my sin. My prayer God, forgive me. May I never take for granted my salvation. I love you, Lord. Amen. There's your devotion for the day. Have a great day. You catch that? Can you see how if you do this on a regular basis, how the Word of God will build a foundation, it will build you a life? And it will leave a legacy to your children and to your children's children. It's in the Word of God where the fear of the Lord, it comes to us as we spend time in His presence. Do you desire something eternal 
But in actuality, you're relying on something that is earthly and temporal. The only firm ground, Jesus says, the only bedrock is the Word of God. Unfortunately, there was a period of time when the church wouldn't allow anybody to read. Well, I'm telling you, not here. If you don't know how to read, let us know. We'll help you learn how to read. But if you can read, we'll get you the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. We want you to read. Have you ever noticed that when you read a book, the person who wrote the book is actually speaking to you? Right? You read something. I don't know, Billy Graham. And you read that book. Who's, who's actually talking to you? Billy is. You catch that? So when I read the Word of God, who's the ultimate author of those 66 books written on three different continents? Hmm. God Himself. God Himself. Why not read? I want to challenge you as we wrap up this series to think about wisdom and truth that you desire. The knowledge you desire. The discipline you desire. The growth that you desire. There's only one source from where you can obtain each of these things that you desire in your life. And it comes because we begin to have a healthy view of God. I'm not afraid of Him like the, the head that spins around in a circle. I have incredible honor, respect because of His power, His grace, His mercy, His love. God Himself, himself is the source of divine wisdom. In fact, when Jesus was asked how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, He instructed His disciples, this is how you pray. Will you read it with me? Starting in verse 9, ready? You might, you might be familiar with this one. Ready, begin. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we all say, Amen. You see, God desires to have your full attention. God desires to have your full commitment and to be in awe of His power and His love. It's time to stop chasing after empty and temporary things. It's time to honor and to revere the Lord. It's time to dig deep to seek Him, to seek the Word, to seek His wisdom. No more fool's gold. Bring on the eternal true treasure of life lived by faith. 
Well, Father, we come before you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And the truth is, some of us would be, if we were honest with ourselves and with you, we would say, man, there's a couple places in my life, and maybe even right now, that I've been chasing some fool's gold. Sure, kind of looks like it, but it's nothing more than gold glitter. Just fake, good for arts and crafts, but it ain't gold. God, forgive me for fate, for chasing the worldly stuff. I want to be set free from that. I want to chase you, Lord. I want to follow you, Lord. I want to give you my full heart, my full commitment. I want my heart to beat in synergy with your heart. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you look up and say, I just need to get that right. Amen. 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 All over the place. Praise God. Amen. Well, Father, I just pray for each and every person. I pray in agreement with them that as they lift up their hand, they're saying, no more fool's gold. I want divine wisdom. I want that which is worth more than gold. So, Father, I pray you would bless your people who are honest with themselves and saying, no more games. Now, God, help me one day at a time, one step at a time. And I pray they would feel your presence. They would be so overcome that they would have to say, Lord, you have to stop. It's too much. It's too much. Fill them, Lord. Fill them. I pray your blessing be upon them. Bless their marriages. Bless their children and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I pray you bless them in their vocation. I pray you bless their finances. Bless their bodies. I pray you bless them, Father, in their health. I pray you bless them. Father, restore eyesight. Restore hearing. Father, give those who need grip in their hands. I pray blessing on that. I pray blessing on their children, the ones who have to travel, the ones who seem distant, and yet, Lord, they're really nothing more but on a search and adventure to find God. And they would easily find you. I pray you hear them. They're praying for their families and their babies that they would come back to the Lord. And we believe that. And we pray that you would give them wisdom when to speak, what to speak. Wisdom when not to speak. Wisdom what to do and what not to do. Divine wisdom that they would see their families all worshiping and serving you in the fear of the Lord. Blessing in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.